All right, let's, let's jump into several texts today, several texts today, as we focus our attention on uh, this office. Many, many things go into making something run smoothly. If you look at a championship team, uh, often those players and the coaches hoist the trophy, but so much work has gone behind the scenes by so many people. A Broadway play that is a success, you may give applause to the people who are on the stage, but you know there are scores of people behind the scenes that may never be noticed who actually make that work. Same is true with the political campaign, right? The, there may be a party as one person wins in office, but there's a huge team behind that to make that a success. The same is true in warfare. Uh, there are so many components, billions of dollars go into uh, all these people employed behind the scenes in all these different countries to, to make a formidable force. Uh, this was Charles Fraser Smith's job. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Ian Fleming, any of his works. What did Ian Fleming write? Somebody tell us. Some carnal, carnal person. Yeah, James Bond. Uh, he came up with James Bond, and you've probably watched those movies or some of them. Uh, there, there is a person in James Fleming's novel that he actually pinpointed for who we know to be Q. Uh, Q comes up in all of these novels and all of these movies. He was... Charles Fraser Smith, hired by, uh, by the Secret Service to come up with things like pens that hide, pencils that hide things, pens that hide compasses and maps, special foods, and, and he had like 600 different companies that he would uh, give jobs to. This person that until 1977 no one knew because uh, he had to keep it secret uh, in 77, he's able to tell his story, and it's unbelievable, countless numbers of inventions that this man uh, uh, oversaw and put, uh, and, and really stuck it to, to, to Hitler uh, on repeated occasions in order to provide victory. But for the longest time, no one even knew about him. Uh, no one even knew his name. They probably are watching this movie on TV. Maybe he watched it and he's like, that's me. He met Fleming. He did not like how Fleming treated women. Um, but he did, he did appreciate those novels um, and his place in them. You know, the same is true in a church. A lot of the things that go on to make a church function, until glory, until 1977, we probably will never know. But I do believe when we get to heaven, we will, the, the curtains will be drawn and we'll recognize, oh, you know what? The people that really made that church work, it wasn't anyone on stage. It was the hundreds of people behind the scenes. That is, that is the picture of the church. That is the picture of the church. The importance of the things that are going on behind the scenes. And so I want us, by God's grace, I want the Spirit of the Lord to take this idea of deacon 
and sink it deep into our heart and in our soul. Uh, that we would all commit to being this way in the different way that the Lord leads us in a local church. But as we'll see, this gives practical application to every sphere of our lives as we take on faithful leadership in many different ways. Whether you're working for the, the uh, Department of War, the Army, Navy, or you're working for that boss that really is like a drill sergeant. So let's jump in here. The first verse, we find the meaning and office of deacon. The meaning and office of deacon, okay? We have to understand what this was like in that first century. Um, the meaning and office of deacon. Then we'll turn to Philippians 2, and we'll see the, see the ultimate example and motivation for the deacon. And then we'll look at the purpose of the deacon in the church. And then we'll look at the qualifications for the deacon. And then finally, a warning. The warning for all of us as we deacon one another. All right, so let's look first of all the meaning and office of the deacon. We really need to understand what this is, because all of these different church traditions use this. And you may probably have heard of a deacon, but what does it really mean? Or we have to understand what it means in the early first century, and then what did it become to mean as they're using it here in Philippians. Okay, so that's what we're after. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy... What is the next word? Bond servants. That's one idea for a servant. That's the most common use of the term servant in your New Testament. This idea, and it's actually, it would be good to know, doulos. Whenever you read doulos, servant, bond slave, you, have, you are owned by someone else. You have no will of your own. Now this was not based on uh, where someone was born or their ethnicity at that time. Actually, according to historians, up to 40% of the Roman Empire was bond, were bond servants. And so you tried to get in a good position of the person who owned you, uh, where they would be taking care of you well, but you, did, you really had, your, your life was not your own. Um, so that's this, this setting. A lot of Christians, the early church, a lot of Christians were servants, were bond slaves. Now, this is not the word that we're considering today of deacon. Look as it goes on. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Okay, so there's, by this time, as he's writing a letter to the church of Philippi, there are these two groups in the local church that are considered to be officers. One are overseers, and we looked at that here you know, the last two weeks synonymous with shepherds, pastors, and synonymous with, anybody know? Elders. Okay, so those three were synonymous. But then there's these, this other group of folks in the church that were called deacons. All right, the cultural meaning. What was the cultural meaning of a deacon? This was a table servant. Uh, this is the term diakonos. So you can see exactly where the English word deacon comes from. Doulos bond slave. Diakonos, an entirely different idea. Now, it was still a menial task, looked down on. This was the person who served the kitchen. Actually, in Philippi, archaeologists have discovered uh, a, a writing uh, that includes cook and diakonos, cook and table server. All right, so that's the idea. When Jesus turned the water into wine, he gave the jugs of water to the diakonoses. Those servants that were going to serve in that wedding, right? 
Um, this is used to refer to Jesus. This is used in many different ways in the New Testament. Doulos is different. Diakonos, not quite as, uh, you're not a bond slave in that sense. Um, I would say as you look at doulos, it is, when it's used culturally, there's the idea of, of, of bond slave. But whenever it's used in a spiritual sense, the person we are bond slaves to are, is always God. I'm a bond slave to God. He has purchased me. And, and I am his. I don't have my own stuff. I don't have my own agenda. I'm God's bond slave. The New Testament repeatedly says that. Diakonos is for one another. I am your diakonos. I am to, to serve the table with you. And so repeatedly, there is this concept of the early church deaconing one another. We're, we're to serve one another. I'll wash each other's feet. Um, in fact, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you are going to diakonos. You're going to serve one another. Uh, if you're going to be great, and so often you, know, you, you want to have influence and sway, be great. Serve. Serve. So this was the church meaning as it developed. These folks who would continue to serve, continue to serve. Actually, the church said, let's actually have this person uh, as a, an official diakonos. So this developed out of that as someone in the church that they laid hands on and said, you are now a, an official deacon of the church. And they became an official deacon. Um, we're going to continue on that in just a minute, but they were the deacon of dishwashing. They were the deacon of serving food. They were the deacon of cleaning the church. Uh, this, is, this is what this is what they would have. Uh, and we'll see that in just a minute. Um, but th this is exactly what the early church did. They hired, I believe, it was a staff position in Acts 6, uh, people to take on these tasks that they were all supposed to be doing automatically with one another, but it became an official position by the time that the Philippian letter was written. Now let's quickly move on to the motivation example for us as deacons. Uh, so all of us are deacons. Let me just say there's one other way that this is used. So you have all of us serving one another as deacons. We have this office developed where there's an official deacon position. There's a third way that this is used in Romans 12 where he says, those of you who are gifted for service in your serving, in your deaconing. So it's actually a spiritual gift as well. Some of you may be gifted spiritually to do this better than others by God the Holy Spirit. This is one a neat thing about being a parent. You, you can, when, when the kiddos are born again, there, there's, sometimes there's this change that you see the spiritual gift develop. And maybe you found this in your own life. As when you're born again, like this, this interest you had, be, you had no interest in this before. Now all of a sudden there's this interest. It's the Holy Spirit inside you gifting you toward this. Right? And so that is another way in which that's used just in, in, in Romans 12. Well, let's look at Philippians 2 because this gives the ultimate attitude. Let's look at the ultimate attitude for the deacon. Okay, life application. All of us should be clothed with humility and serve one another. That's the takeaway from Philippians 1. Uh, we, we, we understand this concept, but you know what? It's not just for the deacons. It's not like, oh, I dropped my snot rag. Where's the deacon? That's not the, the idea. 
The idea is we're all serving one another, and some folks are actually set aside to be an official position in the church. But we're all deaconing one another. Well, let's look at the example for us all. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is the attitude of the deacon. It's humility. This is a, I don't know, this is probably not a word, but it's a deconic uh, deconic attitude is humility. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Don't think too much of yourself. You're thinking, sometimes you're thinking so much of how poor you are, that they're thinking so poorly of yourself that it's still selfish. Don't think about yourself. Think about others. That's the idea. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. What would be an example of humility of mind? He gives two examples. Number one, you're regarding everyone else as more important than yourself. You're regarding, this is, you do the math, automatically, I'm the, I am not the most important, I'm the least important. That is humility. As I come in, I'm the least important. What's another way that humility of mind is manifested? Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Immediately when you come in, it's not, here's what I'm interested in. Let me share it. This, help me with my interests. Help me with my interests. Help me with my interests. It's, let me be interested in you. What are you interested in? How can I help you with your interests? That is humility of mind. Thinking about the other. Of course, the ultimate diaconic action is Jesus. This is the attitude of Jesus. Although he existed as, he is God. Did not regard that as something that he had to be seen as. He didn't have to have that, uh, that position in front of everyone as, as like everyone who saw him saw God, God, God. He just, he just I'm not going to grasp that. I'm going to be, I'm going to take on humanity. I'm going to be a little baby. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being repeated at the point of death. He humbled himself to death. In his human nature, even death on a cross. This is the act, the ultimate action of humility. And of course, the result of that is that he's praised. For this reason, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's going to be really awesome. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So this is the result of Jesus humbling himself. I will say this is, this is what gives us motivation to be servants to one another, seeing that Jesus did this. The gospel gives the motive, motivation for deacon service. As we see Jesus humbling himself, Jesus Christ humbles himself. I'm a Christian. I humble myself. No one is greater than Christ, and he humbled himself. But also, I learn in Christianity that I am not important. I am a sinner deserving of hell. You cannot be a Christian unless you've come to that point. And so coming every day to recognize the gospel helps us serve one another. And just, it's at the cross. I'm always repenting of my sin. I'm always humbling myself before the Lord. I'll quote again from Vincent's great little book, The Gospel Primer for Christians. This is on the back table. Uh, it's 10 bucks, I think. Um, 
And, uh, and so our church pays for the shipping and handling for this. I think everyone should read this. It, he, he applies the understanding of the gospel to every area of our life. According to scripture, God deliberately designed the gospel in such a way so as to strip me of pride and leave me without any grounds for boasting in myself whatsoever. This is actually a wonderful mercy from God, for pride is the root of all my sin. Pride produced the sin in the garden, and pride always precedes every sinful stumbling in my life. Therefore, if I am to experience deliverance from sin, I must be delivered from the pride that produces it. Thankfully, the gospel is engineered to accomplish this deliverance. Preaching the gospel to myself each day mounts a powerful assault against my pride and establishes humility in its place. Nothing suffocates my pride more than daily reminders regarding the glory of God, the gravity of my sins, the crucifixion of God's Son. Gracious love of God lavished on me because of, the Christ, because of Christ's death is always humbling to remember, especially when viewed against the backdrop of the hell I deserve. Pride wilts in the atmosphere of the gospel, and the more pride is mortified within me, the less frequent are my moments of sinful contention with God and with others. Conversely, humility grows lushly in the atmosphere of the gospel. The more humility flourishes within me, the more I experience God's grace, along with the strengthening his grace provides. There's this this understanding that, that I have nothing before God. And I stay that way. Once I'm, I'm saved that way, but I stay that way. I never get up and say, wow, I finally, now I can earn. No, I'm always a bond slave with Jesus. He's purchased me with his blood. So the gospel gives motivation. The purpose of church deacons. Let's, let's dive into this. The time came, here's the problem of church growth. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. Whenever you have church growth, complaints grow, right? Did you recognize this? Spirit-filled, this is right after Pentecost. They're, they're complaining against the apostles, Peter. This is what's happening. But you know what? They're overlooking widows. They should be complaining. This is a problem. You're just taking care of those widows who have a Hebrew background, right, that, 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 that speak good Jewish Hebrew, uh, but, but those who are from out of town that are Jewish, widows, you're not taking care of them. All right, this is a problem. So what is the solution? The 12 said, we're going to work harder to serve both of these groups. Is that what he says? No. The 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect what? The word of God to serve tables. And so there is this solution that is the delegation. Delegation or distraction. This is so important, right? Both of them are service. It's really fascinating. Where is our word deacon? Somebody find it in there. It's one of the yellow words. You see it? Serve tables. Yeah, that's our word. Serve tables. It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to de- diaconal, right? To 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 the verb deacon. Now, that was a very vital service. Taking care of widows is so important. 
Right? But they're saying, you know what, guys? We're not going to neglect the ministry of the word serving the spiritual table in order to serve the physical table. That is so important for us as a church to grasp. Verse 4, the same thing. We, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Right? So the, the church leadership, the pastors, are to, to work in such a way that they delegate the other functions of ministry to other people in the church. So that they can give more time to praying for the church. I can't imagine praying for 5,000 people. It's hard enough just the, well, we have, I think we have 130 on the list here. Um, that's a lot of work. 5,000. So they could not do both. They had to delegate or they would be distracted by another very important thing. But it both, they're both servants. They're both table servants. It's not that they're too proud. I will say this. We, we've, we've lost the original reading of verse 4, and, and people are going to shoot me for this. Not right now, I'm sure. But, but what was the pastor there, the apostles' ministry of the word in that context? Was it sitting in their study for 30 hours a week? Okay, there was some of that. And, I, and I'm committed to that. Right? I'm reading through Romans a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times right now. Um, so, so I'm committed to that. But in that case, it was the, the proclamation of the word in the street. It was, it was ministering the word to those who had not yet known. That was the ministry of the word. Now, they had to study it. They had to know it. And as 1 Timothy 5 comes along, they actually paid elders to give themselves full time to the study and teaching of the word. That's essential. But, but what they're talking about here in this context is actually, um, is actually putting feet on the word and sharing it. Okay? Both of those are important, though, as, as pastors. Um, but, but we also have to delegate. All right, so delegation to godly deacons. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit. It's not that these folks have this huge seminary degree or, or they've, they've, they've lived a godly life for 60 years. These people had all just gotten saved. Just gotten saved. Therefore, brethren, select among you seven men who are filled with the Spirit. That's the essential quality. Do you see the work of the Holy Spirit in the life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. And we're going to get to that in a second as far as the... Got to keep moving here. Delegation to godly deacons. Delegation with prayer and seriousness. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And so I'm sharing this with the whole congregation in our church, and this is one of the reasons we're going through this as a church. We need more deacons. So let me just encourage you to pray about that. Pray about becoming a deacon. But also pray about saying, I believe this person should serve as a deacon. I believe this person should serve as a deacon, okay? And, and let us know about that. Um, we, we need to hear folks uh, sharing this, okay? But it can't be approved until you've prayed about it. Pray about it. Ask the Lord for grace and wisdom. After praying, they laid hands on them, and then they become a deacon in the church there. Spiritual leadership should not neglect spiritual service. This, this, this sounds proud. I love, I do love doing this other stuff. Ask Sarah. Like, I fight for the vacuum downstairs when we're closing up. You know, sometimes I should not vacuum. I should be talking to people all the time. I should not vacuum. 
I should be talk we should have others who are cleaning the church. This is a deacon position, right? These are all, and it's not, it's not that I don't want to. I love doing that. Um, does that make sense? If you have questions about that, please let me know. I will say this, you don't have to be a deacon to deacon. Right? All of us should be serving, right? The qualifications. What do I need to be? Well, these are just, these are just Christian virtues. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Dignified. Does that mean you never joke around? That's not what that's talking about. There's, there is a seriousness there um, in, in um, appropriateness, behavior uh, that would be respectable and honorable, uh, this idea of character. Not double-tongued, uh, not hypocritical is the idea. It's not that they're saying something to this person and something exact opposite to this person based on what the other person wants to hear. They're not two-faced. Not addicted to wine. Well, actually not addicted to much wine. So they can be addicted to wine, but not much wine. No, that's not what it means. They're they're not uh, under the influence of substances. Okay, there's, There's no addictions there. Not greedy of dishonest gain. And so I do believe that early church, especially that was a full-time position, and, and the idea would here would be a staff member. Um, but the staff member that's primarily working, so this is like a church that has a 1,000 people, they actually have staff members that work that take care of the grounds, take care of the finances. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. right? So, so, so there's this understanding of the faith and the willingness to hold to it. But by this time, we, we, need to, we need to learn their behavior and, and watch, and, and they shouldn't come, become a deacon right away. Let them, let them continue in the church and prove themselves blameless. Uh, similar word there to the elder, uh, in, the, in, the, in the sense of there's, there's nothing glaring that you can say, this person is at blame for this, so they should not be a deacon. It's interesting that the elders there don't say as much about the wives, but the deacons they do. A little bit more about their wives. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, as they are, not slanderers. Uh, the, the wife is, is not speaking against others. Right? There's, there's uh, the, the idea of gossip, like this person's not synonymous with gossip, uh, spreading bad things about others. Uh, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so you have the family qualifications here. Deacons, each must be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man, committed to their wife. Managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There is a reward. 1977 is coming. The, 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 The deacons will be recognized and I wanted to do this. I did not tell Bob and, and Mookie this ahead of time, but I would like to thank you men for the service. And if we could give them a, a hand, Bob and Mookie. Okay. You're two of the men who serve as deacons here. Kate has, uh, where are you, Kate? Okay, she is serving downstairs. Jamal, you're going to have to take the cards. We do have two thank you cards for you all, and we want to share a gift for you, just an expression of, of our thanks for your service behind the scenes. 
And uh, we praise God for you. And we pray for five more. Uh, but we praise God for the two faithful men that have, have served and have carried out this in such a great way. Both Bob with the finances, uh, Brother Mookie in many ways, but specifically with, uh, with our working with our volunteers here with greeting. A list of important Christian virtues, but there's one missing quality, and I'll just mention this, that, that uh, many deacons have verbal gifts. And so as you follow Acts 6, you go right to seeing them share the gospel in amazing ways in chapter 7 and 8. Stephen was a deacon. He shares the gospel to all of Jerusalem there and is martyred for it. Um, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip. Yeah, Philip is a deacon. Uh, chapter 8, you see him sharing the gospel. Right? So, so this doesn't mean that the deacons don't have verbal gifts, but it, the, the idea of teaching is not in here for qualifications, where it is in the qualification for pastor-teacher. The elder must be required to teach and preach the word. Uh, the, the deacons are not required to do that. So if you're someone who does not like being up front, you don't like sharing, you know, you, you'll, you're happy to share one-on-one, you're happy to share the gospel with someone, but you just don't like being speaking up. For, that's okay. Right, this is the, the ministry of deacon. As God's servants, we should be godly. As God's servants, we should be godly. As Christians, we should be like Christ. This is a no-brainer. But this does bring this concept to the way we live. Right? I don't know if you just recently you've seen this Amazon. Uh, there's an Amazon special that, that highlights the life of the Hillsong Church, uh, Amazon Prime and, and I will just say this, the world does notice when officers of the church are not godly. And they make three-hour documentary on it. When there's thousands of leaders that are not godly, I mean that are godly, they're not going to document that. And that's why it's important for, the, for, for us to carefully consider the qualifications. As godly servants, we must be godly. Well, that makes sense for all of us. All these qualifications are for all of us. Our, our last one here, last one, uh, we'll be done here. The warning, there is a warning for you as, as deacons, as those who serve one another. Uh, this is not just, this is before the church, this is before the office of deacon. We, we do find a warning from Jesus for the table servant. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, we find uh, this distracted deacon, <laughs> Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister, Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet. How dare her? Listening to the word. Martha is distracted with all her preparations, and she came and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left all the deaconing to me? It's our word here. Alone. Tell her to help me. It's interesting. In, in our church, what, in our modern churches, what might we, who might we side with? I don't know. Um, but Jesus, Jesus sides with Mary. Now that's not saying we shouldn't be serving. But it is saying this, if you, if you continue to serve and serve and serve, if you find this your personality where you're serving, 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 you're doing, 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 and you don't sit at the feet of Jesus, you're going to break. You're going to burn out. There must be oil in the lamp. 
And that comes from sitting at Jesus' feet. And so Jesus, we find this devoted deacon, the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good part, and I'm not going to take it away from her. It's so important to hear Jesus preached, um, but it's so important for you to listen to the voice of Jesus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Are you being still and knowing that he is God? If, if you're not, then you have no juice from which to serve. And you're going to dry up. doesn't mean we stop working. It means we stop and, and, and feast on Jesus. Listening to his word. Delighting in him. Singing the songs of Zion and worship. Growing in service. I remember the first time coming to grips with this. And, and it's interesting. I, I don't mean to get on anyone here. Please don't think this way. But I do remember uh, it was the first church I pastored. I, I think it was my first year of seminary. Maybe my last year in Bible college. And I pastored this small church, tiny church. And the, the previous pastor's wife was still there. And she kind of ran things. But, but she let me speak. But uh, we had this big, this big celebration, kind of like we're doing next week. Um, and, uh, and I remember uh, knowing she's going to cook a huge meal. And so we get to the worship service, and, uh, and I didn't see her. And then we get to the, the preaching time, and I didn't see her. And the invitation, I didn't see her. And then we come, and there's all this food. And she's like totally worn out. And so I confronted her in front of everybody. No, I did not. I said nothing. But, but it just was my first experience with, with a Martha. Um, and I praise God for her, right? I praise God for her. But we got to be careful about the Martha spirit. Uh, to put it in check with sitting, just sitting and resting and gazing on the glory of God. We have to feed our soul. And so this really becomes the, the, the momentum for our service. It's not serving so that others will see me. It's not serving so that I can feel good about myself. It's serving because I've sat at Jesus' feet and I want to wash the feet of the folks that he loves. And so then you're able to go to that person that no one else likes. That everyone has a hard time with in the neighborhood and you're able to serve them because you're doing it for Jesus. And you don't care if anyone sees it because Jesus sees it. And you love him and you're serving him. Our final application, our service for Christ must be motivated by and flow out of the one thing that is most important, this love for Jesus Christ. And that comes from a relationship with him. We started the service looking at Q, and, and I think we've, we've gained some good, good, valuable lessons of the behind-the-scenes service. But Charles Frangel Smith was an interesting man. His parents died when he was five. He was raised by a godly uncle and aunt that shared the gospel with him. When he was a teenager, he was going on the beach at 13, I think it was 18, and he heard people preaching the gospel and he, he was born again. Committed himself to Jesus. Surrendered to serve in foreign missions. He eventually moved to Morocco. Met a young lady in Casablanca and, and married her. 
started a farm to reach Muslims there in Morocco uh, with ingenuity, a great skill, ingenuity to, scare, to share the gospel. He learned how to farm, uh, learned how to irrigate, uh, really actually blessed the community with his knowledge. And this was not book knowledge. He was not a very good book knowledge person. But ingenuity, fertilization, all these things he learned. He, he's, he's learning Arabic. Began an orphanage to help to meet the needs of the children who were disabled. To this day, that farm has saved the children fund that takes care of 100 orphans who are disabled. As the French owned Morocco turned Nazi, he had to leave. He comes back and he's telling everyone the things that he did there in Morocco. And the British Secret Service get wind of it and say, we need to, we need to hire this guy. And this was what they said. You'll be supplying our forces with various requirements. And for years, unbelievable. Like, like this just list of things that he did. Why? Because he did it as he served God. He hated war, but he knew that this dude had to be stopped. And so he fought Hitler. But, but he served Christ as he served his army. He was Bible-driven. Um, he wrote, There is no true meaning in life without God. The universe is incomprehensible, and a man is purposeless accident without a creator. We must seek to be made God-centered. And then he added this to his motto, Sans Bible reign. I have no idea what language that is. The Bible is the only authoritative guide in life. This is from War and Grace by Don Stevens. He actually interviewed him. We should place ourselves under the authority of the word. He was, he was useful as a servant in his job because he was serving God at his job. Charles was useful as a servant in his home because he was serving God in his home. We are useful servants at church because we're serving God in our church. He died in 1992. These words were read at his funeral. I always think of death not as a sunset, an ending, but as a sunrise, a beginning. Death for the true follower of Christ is entrance into real life. This starts at the death at the cross. He's talking about the cross, coming to the cross of Christ. It is the greatest event in life, the climax of life, the entrance into something magnificent. is the beginning of true and perfect living. We can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So when we die to self, uh, following Christ, that we're able to serve one another in this way and honor him as faithful deacons. Let's pray. Lord, we, we have a, a high, high example that we'll never reach in you. And then sometimes we come to, to church and we just need to unload off folks and be served. And, um, but Lord, I, I do pray that we would be more cognizant by your grace of, of coming to the gatherings, whether that be Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, to the gatherings of the church in, in this humble way of, of ministering you, Lord Jesus, to others. May we die to self. May we take up our cross and follow you in this path of humility, uh, Lord Jesus, until you call us home. I do pray that in, in our church you would raise up godly deacons uh, who will minister faithfully, uh, for generations uh, to your glory. 
But Lord, would you do it not just in that office sake, but all of us would be committed to serving one another.